0: Welcome and thank you for tuning into Real Talk, Real Deals, stories and tips from the Real World of Sales, a podcast where we are talking about how to be successful in the world of sales. This is episode number two, and I'm your host, Jeremy Ulmer. My guest today is the president and CEO of Richardson, John Elsie. John leads the company's global go-to market strategy and vision around being a mission critical resource to executive leaders seeking to improve and sustain revenue performance via world-class selling teams. Please welcome John Elsie to the show. John, thanks for joining me. Hey Jeremy, it's great to be here. How you doing? I'm doing great. Great to have you. And so as a way of getting started, can you please share how you first got into the field of sales? Yeah, happy to. I mean, uh,
1: I went straight into sales after I finished my formal education. Um, I actually started selling uh, real estate in the UK, uh, residential real estate. And I did that for a few years uh, before moving over into, into B2B selling. I moved to London and I had my first opportunity to uh, work for a, a very small division of international paper. We manufactured plastic laminates, and I was selling to architects and interior designers. Uh, I did that in Central London. I, ha- I had a very nice patch in in West London that I drove around uh, for about eight hours every single day. But but then I you know I just kept staying in in the sales field. I loved loved the work, and uh, I jumped over into a more of a kind of an industrial setting, and I ended up selling for, uh, the UK's largest crane rental company. So if you need to rent a crane, I can, uh, can give you the best going rate on that, uh, but ultimately I guess when was it somewhere around the summer of two thousands, I had a chance to join my first performance improvement and training organization. Um, and, uh, that gave me an opportunity to, you know, work in the field of training and development, but also, you know, continue to sell as well. So that was uh, so I, I jumped around a little bit, but lot, lot lot of sales expertise or sales experience that I
0: enjoyed. Did being a salesperson and having all that experience help you to become a CEO? Uh,
1: I think so. Um, I mean, I don't know what you think, but being a salesperson is not an easy job. I think it's one of the hardest jobs, you know, on the planet, quite frankly. And, and one of the things that doesn't make it very easy is that It's not like there's somebody sitting over the shoulder telling you what to do at every point during the day, you know, sales and and the results and outcomes that you get from your sales career are so much of what you make of it. You know, you make all these decisions about how you're going to spend the time and where you're going to invest, you know, effort. And a lot of it is about the effort that you put in. And I think, you know, I learned a lot from my sales experience there and becoming a CEO. There's no playbook for that. I don't think, at least if there's nobody showed it to me yet. Um, And you have to kind of make the job and it's so much about what you put in and how much effort you put in. So doing the hard yards on, uh, you know, a quota carrying sales role, I think, I think really helped.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you, you restart every quarter, every year as well. Yeah. You know, so that adds challenges as well. And I think there might be some similarities as a CEO too. I say that, uh, yeah. I, it's a great comment. I mean, every uh, every January, I sit there and I ask myself,
1: why are we Why do we do this? Why are we in sales? You know, we get stuck from scratch all over again. So yeah,
0: the parallels are pretty uh, pretty stark. So, what's inspiring you the most about the work you're doing these days? Um, you know, the
1: the role that I have today does give me an opportunity to work with some really incredible companies. You know, they're they're they're, they're the names that you, that, you know, uh, they're the largest organizations in the world, um, uh, great brands, great reputations. And, you know, we get an opportunity to sit across the table and talk to them about what they're trying to accomplish and you know how they're doing that through their sales teams. And that's, I gotta tell you, that's pretty exciting. Um, sometimes, you know, I always get this feeling that somebody's going to walk up behind me and tap me on the shoulder and say, what the heck are you doing here? You know, um, Imposter syndrome, I think they call it, but it's, it's a, it's a pretty nice place to be. And, you know, we have some, some fun doing that. And I think the other part of the job that I love is the team that I get to work with. So that, you know, when you have a tough day or a tough week, they make it very, very bearable. But when you, when you see some success and things are going well,
0: it's, it's a lot of fun. And based on your work with those customers that you mentioned, how would you say the landscape of selling has changed over the last few years? Oh my God, I mean, massively. Um, and I think the the pace
1: at which we see changes taking place is just, it's accelerated so much uh, over the last you know, three or four years. I mean, obviously COVID's made a big difference, but I think that has just amplified the pace of change. So, you know, we, when we talk to our customers, they, te- they tell us they're working in a hugely disruptive environment uh, that's impacting their sales professionals, customers are constantly thinking about how they take new value propositions to market the pace at which they're launching new products as accelerates um and so that just makes everything much more much more complicated for for sales professionals and then you know the people that we're selling to uh is changing the kind of the number of people that are involved in making a decision today is exponentially grown you know you're selling to committees and then the, the people who sit on those committees they they look different um, to the people that we used to sell to. So there are a lot of millennial buyers in positions of authority who, I guess, are kind of digital first in how they think about procurement and uh, embrace purpose-driven procurement. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's a pretty different and pretty complex selling environment I think most sales
0: professionals are, are a challenge with today. And looking forward to... 2023 and beyond, what are some of the trends you're seeing in sales?
1: I mean, I think some of it's going to be more of the same and, and there's going to be some new stuff. Um, you know, I mentioned this idea that more and more buyers are millennials, and there's, there's this concept of being purpose driven, driven so that they, they care about solutions and how solutions explicitly address, you know, issues and opportunities in their business, but they. You know, they want to make sure that kind of DE&I type principles are reflected not only in the solutions that they're purchasing, but also the sales teams that are selling those solutions to them. And I I think that's a a new dynamic that as salespeople, we need to think about. um, And we're going to see much, much more of that over the next couple of years. Um, I think it's a really, I mean, selling has always been hard, uh, but the shift to selling virtually and buying virtually has created new challenges around work-life balance. And that's led to, we see a lot of burnout and a lot of turnover, uh, in sales organizations. And so thinking about strategies to how do I retain and engage talent? Uh, I think is going to be the forefront of, uh, topics that, you know, our customer organizations are, are wrestling with. And then I guess the last one is, you know, we we have been for the last two quarters working in an environment where there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of, you know, not just volatility, but increasingly you know, business confidence is dropping and people are worried about the, you know, the threat of a looming recession. And that just makes selling, you know, whether you're selling small ticket or large ticket items, just makes selling a lot
0: harder. Yeah. And as you mentioned earlier, selling is not an easy role and it's only become more difficult. And there there's some studies that I've seen from Gartner that have reported that 89% of sellers are feeling burned out right now. And then you compound that by the fact that three and four are feeling that they don't even have effective human-centric leaders who are really focused on being empathetic, adaptive, and flexible. Yeah. And all of that's impacting, you know, retention, attracting talent, as you mentioned, engaging and kind of developing talent as well. Yeah, I think you make a really good point. I think that the number one reason
1: why people leave and or stay in a role is so much about the relationship they have with their manager and whether You have somebody that's uh, attuned to their needs, you know, from a professional and emotional and personal perspective. And I I think that's, that has always been the case and will continue to be really, really relevant. Just the the environment within which, you know, managers and sellers are operating today is so much more challenging. So that relationship probably becomes more and more important.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And, And based on some of these trends, what do you think will be the most important capability salespeople will need to improve to be successful? I mean, we're hearing, we're seeing a lot
1: of interest in, you know, the fundamentals around uh, contracts and sales negotiations, you know, we're working in a highly inflationary environment and then you layer in this, you know, issue around supply chain disruption and so it's, you know, sellers are going to be able to think about how do I, how do I sometimes have to position price increases with my existing customer relationships without losing that relationship? um so you know having a, a framework for those conversations and the kind of emotional interpersonal selling skills to do that successfully i think is particularly important um but also as we talk about you know tightening budgets and the threat of of recession i think negotiations can become so much more important to ensure that you're maintaining profitability as you get to the later stages of those deals so that's that's certainly
0: one and can you tell us about a Richardson customer who's ahead of the pack in addressing some of these areas, and, and what are they doing specifically?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, they're, they're certainly kind of rolling in, you know, some of these capabilities, um, but how they are structuring and delivering that capability building to their organization, I think, is uh, has has the hallmarks and the elements of what we believe it takes to be successful. So. Um, increasingly thinking about training as a, as a modular undertaking, you know, so how do we think about content and, uh, in an agile way that can be, you know, deployed to sales professionals quickly where they need it at a point in time when they need it. So some of the more traditional approaches of thinking like large, long programs, uh, we need to move away from that so that we can you kind know, of build skills that align to very specific roles and sales motions. Uh, I think that's, you know, certainly an element of what of our best customers are doing. Um a lot more emergence around things like data and analytics, Jeremy, you know, being at the heart of the solution. There were there were, you know, days where or times when I think people just implemented training because they inherently thought it was a good thing to do. And it is a good thing to do, and it certainly drives results. But, you know, we can't just, you know, purchase on a hope. But we need we need the the data to tell us you know where are our teams today and how is that changing over time so making sure that there's strong data and analytics in the solution I think is is important um and then finally, I would say you know, making sure that we treat training as a process rather than an event. We, you know we talk about a performance journey so we we need to kind of capture people's attention we need to make sure they're kind of engaged and ready, they have a kind of mindset that when they're they're prepared to have a go at trying something new and learning something and trying something, you know, differently perhaps than what they've, you know, historically done. Um and so there are stages of behavior change that we need to understand and recognize. And we need to deliver training, engagement, and sustainment as a journey over time. And every step in that journey needs to support the step that came before. Um and uh, there are certainly, you know, uh ways to do that. But
0: Treating it as a process rather than an event, uh, I think is uh, is critically important. And it's much more in line with the responsive sales performance improvement strategy versus some of the traditional approaches. But I'm curious, can you tell me a little bit more about what you're doing differently to be responsive versus the traditional standalone training as an event type scenarios?
1: Yeah, I, I think you know it's a combination of being proactive and responsive. I think that it's important that we come to some of this work with a well-formed opinion on what does it take to be successful? What set of capabilities do we need to see proficiency in based on the type of sales role that sales professional is doing? And that's, you know, we begin with that point of view. We assess the degree to which a seller currently understands and can execute those behaviors well. Um, and then, as we then deploy that learning to drive proficiency, um, we need to be able to capture data around how that proficiency is changing, and that's where the responsive nature is. So we can adjust, recalibrate, and make sure that where we're investing our time and resources is in a fashion that's going to drive the most immediate return because there's always you know competing initiatives. Um, and we want to make sure that capability development and specifically sales training not only delivers a return, but is delivering a return that's kind of superior to some of the other alternatives that are available
0: uh, to business unit leaders. And, you know, that's uh, that's always something that we need to keep a, a close eye on. And how does customization factor into that based on roles? So an SDR or a BDR versus a customer success manager versus an enterprise account executive, how does that customization of sales performance improvement factor in, in terms of what you're doing with some of these customers?
1: Oh, gosh, it's, you know, it's critically important. And I think, you know, it's one of the essential elements to drive and address what we would describe as a predictive failure point, this, this concept of relevancy. So you can have some great training content that teaches, you know, theoretical best practices. But if a sales professional is in, in, you know, participating in some sort of training activity and doesn't understand the relevance of what is being taught and how they can apply that in the context of the customers they're selling to, the sales motions that they execute, and the products and services that their company is asking them to bring to, to those conversations, you know, sales training or training generally is going to fail. And customization is the process that by which we go through to ensure that training is delivered in a relevant uh, environment. Um, and sales professionals can can leave those experiences and have different conversations right from, you know, the, the next morning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And how do you enable the the sales leaders, the sales managers to help the sellers to apply and coach some of the things that you're teaching? How do you help that from a technology standpoint, from a training standpoint?
1: Yeah, frontline sales managers are the fourth multiplier of these sales transformations. I mean, they are an essential ingredient that cannot be ignored. So, you know, one of the key things I would say is let's make sure that we put frontline sales managers, you know, at the center of these training engagements in the ways that we naturally, you know, feel inclined to focus on the sales professional themselves. So we first and foremost need to make sure that sales managers understand the skills and practices that we're teaching the sales professionals. They need to be fully attuned and aware to those. Um, secondarily, they need to have the skills and we need to build these skills to coach to those behaviors. Um, and you know, sales managers are often very successful sales professionals themselves who'd be promoted in the sales management role. But leading and coaching is a different discipline and we need to help sales managers understand what that looks like. Um, and then I think we need to recognize that perhaps the busiest job in the sales function is that frontline sales manager. So we need to make it as easy as possible for sales managers to be successful. And that's about, you know, giving them tools, uh, and practices so that it is as easy as possible for them to support that behavior change transition and their sales professionals. And give them some really good, you know, actionable data about what's happening with their sales professionals as they go through the training, so they know, you know, who should I be coaching, when should I be coaching those individuals,
0: and what should I be coaching those individuals on. So they get those insights, so they know where to spend their time and what to spend their time on to drive better results.
1: Yeah, I, I think, in my experience, frontline sales managers very seldomly uh, intentionally undermine the success of a sales transformation or a sales training engagement. They want it to be successful, but they're they're incredibly busy. Um, and we ask too much of them. So we have to make it as easy as possible to help them see where they can make a difference and ensure that they have both the skills and tools to make that difference. And they will then embrace it 100%, um, and be a big, big part of the success.
0: And before we wrap up, if you had to summarize, what are the top three three things sales leaders, sales managers should be thinking about heading into 2023 to drive more success for their teams? What would you uh, bottom line those three as?
1: I think be really, really clear on what sales capabilities you want to develop and work on. um, So that you have a standard. Um, and that is that then forms a standard against which you, your frontline sales managers and leaders can measure and coach to. I think the second thing is, you know, going back to my earlier comments, build skills one at a time, take a modular approach, make sure that, you know, what you're delivering is relevant and aligned to the selling role. Um, and then you could just kind of lay us these skills in over time. Don't try and like one and done, you know, But put people into a room and inundate them with an awful lot of stuff, very, very, you know, in a very, very short period of time, because that's, that's really tough for people to remember. Um, and then, you know, my last comment here, I would say is data is your friend, you know, make sure you're really clear on how you're going to measure this, how you are going to measure where you are, when you start, how you're going to know whether you're making an impact and ultimately, you know, how things are changing over time. So get together, build a data strategy. It doesn't have to be perfect, but having
0: anything is better than nothing. um, And it'll help you calibrate as you go. Well, I want to thank you so much, John, for sharing your insights today. I know our audience will find them helpful. And if you'd like to connect with John or reach out to him with any of your questions, you can find him on LinkedIn at John Elsie. And for more sales tips and best practices, please check us out on LinkedIn at Richardson Sales Performance.